From Capital News, Illinois at the State House, I'm Peter Hancock. I'm Rebecca Ansel. And I'm Jerry Nowicki. And this is Capital Cast. This week, we'll take a look at a plan by the state of Illinois to overhaul the way it delivers health care to some of the state's most vulnerable children, a plan that stirred controversy at a legislative committee hearing this week. Meanwhile, a group of former lawmakers is suing the state for back pay, and Attorney General Kwame Raoul says he's going his own way in the litigation against opioid manufacturers, while at the same time joining a multi-state antitrust investigation into the tech giant Google. But first, children's health care. Some Illinois lawmakers appeared surprised this week when they learned that the Department of Children and Family Services, the state's child welfare agency, and the Department of Health Care and Family Services, which runs the state's Medicaid program, are about to overhaul the way certain children receive health care benefits. And they plan to roll out the new system on November 1st, just a few weeks away. Nobody on this committee was ever invited to hear about this plan, and I think that's a problem because we passed a law that you were supposed to do that. That was State Representative Sarah Feigenholz, a Chicago Democrat, who chairs the House Adoption and Child Welfare Committee, speaking at a committee hearing earlier this week. The plan is to move about 74,000 of the state's most vulnerable children foster children, recently former foster children, and children who, because of disabilities and poverty, qualify for supplemental security income into what's called a managed care form of Medicaid. That's a system where private insurance companies, known as managed care organizations, or MCOs, are paid a flat per patient monthly fee to manage the health care of people who enroll in their plan. Illinois took that system statewide for the bulk of its regular Medicaid population in 2018, and to put it mildly, things have not always gone as planned. Here's Teresa Eagleson, Director of the Department of Health Care and Family Services. I want to acknowledge that we've had some growing pains with managed care in Illinois. I hope you're both hearing from our constituencies as well as seeing our commitment to getting those changed. A big concern is that even before managed care came along, the state's Medicaid program was already the target of a federal lawsuit and consent decree over its ability to deliver needed medical and behavioral health services to children, including many of the same children who are about to be shifted into managed care. In fact, when the managed care system launched in 2018, Illinois lawmakers responded by passing a bill, Senate Bill 1851, that imposed significant legislative input and oversight over the whole program. Here's Democratic State Representative Mary Flowers of Chicago. The legislative intent of Senate Bill 1851 basically says, we don't trust you guys. That's what it says. Lawmakers weren't the only ones expressing concern about putting vulnerable children into managed care. Here's Dr. Edward Pont, a pediatrician and former head of the Illinois Academy of Pediatrics. Given the growing pains in the current MCO program and general lack of information related to the move of this population to a single MCO, we ask that this be delayed to give children and foster families time to understand the change and to build the necessary networks to provide the best care for these children. They deserve no less. For now, though, it looks like the state is moving forward with the plan, 
although it's an issue that could come up in the 2019 veto session that begins in late October. And now we turn to our reporters roundtable with Rebecca Anzel and Jerry Nowicki. Rebecca, you've been covering a case in the Illinois courts that could charitably be called unusual. Former state lawmakers who are now suing the state for back pay that they claim they're owed. What is going on? So two former Democratic state senators um, are suing the state. Basically, they had both voted multiple times for two laws, one that froze their cost of living increases and the other that instituted mandatory, mandatory furlough days. They've both left office. One is a, a judge. The other is a, a private practicing attorney. Um, they're both suing because um, they have claimed and have won that those two laws are unconstitutional. Um, there's a provision in the uh, state's constitution that says a lawmaker's salary cannot be altered in any way during the term for which that lawmaker is in office. Um, and so by not allowing that cost of living increase to take effect, that has violated that provision of the Constitution. They're now asking, uh, most recently, for a judge to force Comptroller Susana Mendoza to cut a check for both the two of them, as well as every member of the General Assembly who has been affected by those two uh, newly deemed con- unconstitutional statutes. And this adds up to, like, what? How much money are we talking about? Just under $13 million. Okay, so this pay freeze and the furlough days, these were in place for a period of years, uh, including the years, that two-year budget impasse. Um, the two lawmakers that are suing, didn't they vote for the pay freezes and the furloughs? They both did, yes. Um, they both issued statements at the time a couple times as well um, issuing their support for them basically um, the period for which they voted for them also coincided with the 08 uh, financial crisis Um, and so at the time they they had said that they felt you know why should they take these pay increases when the rest of the state was suffering and so it was sort of politically expedient for them to not take you know these pay increases and such and now that they're out of office it seems that They've decided it was unconstitutional. They want their money back. And so what does Comptroller Mendoza have to say about this? <laughs> she, um, she has been very vocal, uh, both in media interviews um, and elsewhere. Uh, you know, her office has issued statements as well. Um, she has made herself very clear that she believes this is not something she should be forced to do. She thinks this is, you know, them just coming to the state asking for a handout. Um, her general defense is... This, the Attorney General's office, you know, because she's a state officer, the Attorney General's office defends her. Um, their general defense is because these two lawmakers voted for these laws, they should not be able to come back and say, well, I know we voted for them, but we want the money anyway because it's unconstitutional, and so we'll see what happens. And so this constitutional provision, and many states have this, um, and in fact, I, the U.S. Constitution now has it, uh, was adopted in fairly recent years. The point, it seems, is to say that you can't vote yourself a pay raise, or if you do, you have to stand before the voters at least one more time before you can cash it in so the voters can determine whether or not they think you deserve it. This is a case where they actually froze their pay, cut their pay, 
Does it seem like that was the intent of that constitutional provision to prevent lawmakers from cutting their own pay? If you ask the state, so the attorney general's office, and you ask them what they think, they will go back to the Constitutional Convention transcripts in 1969-1970, and they'll tell you, it appears as though, Peter, you're right, um, the framers of the Constitution and that article really intended for lawmakers to not be able to raise their salary. There was some some things that I'm not going to get into historically that happened that they were trying to prevent to happen again. Uh, however, and not to bore everybody, but um, what happens in, in lawsuits such as this is a judge looks at a statute, in this case, or the Constitution, looks at the language. And if the language is very clear, um, a judge will not look at legislative intent and will not look at um, what the framers in this case intended. And so because the language is very clear, it says will not be altered, doesn't say will not be increased. Um, altered means you know, increased or decreased. The judge has decided that you know, these, these laws were unconstitutional. Now there is a law though that provides lawmakers with automatic cost of living increases every year. So it seems like they do alter their pay every year during their terms of office. Um, I guess what they're saying is that that law, those are the terms of the pay, and so you can't alter that law either up or down during the, your term in office. Yeah, you know, I was when I first uh, was reading about this lawsuit and reading the court filings, this, is, this gets kind of complicated. Apparently this also feeds into pensions, which is a whole other issue, but um, apparently salary is set. It's not like a set number and says you get this amount of money. Salary is more of a formula. And the cost of living increases feeds into that formula, and so you can't mess with that. It's rather complicated, but that's my general understanding. Okay, some people might say only in Illinois would you see something like this happening. Meanwhile, in other legal action, Jerry Nowicki has been following Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul. He's been busy in recent days joining in on a number of multi-state legal actions that have been making national news as well. Jerry, fill us in on what's going on with that. The big one is um, a lawsuit against Purdue Pharma, which is the maker of Oxycontin. Uh, that's one, one of the first opioids that really hit the market, one of the beginnings of this uh, opioid crisis that we see. And um, they're owned by the Sackler family, and uh, there's a multi-state, I think all 50 states, um, were in on the lawsuit and several thousand municipal governments and details came out Wednesday of a settlement between Purdue Pharma. There was, I think it was worth $12 billion. And, a possible settlement. Yeah, uh, right. And um, basically what uh, sent, uh, Attorney General Raul said is if, he, uh, if the Sackler family doesn't face uh, repercussions and more financial uh, liabilities, he would oppose the settlement um, and they'd have to admit wrongdoing as well. So the proposed settlement, and I believe you reported on this, was that they would almost dissolve uh, Purdue Pharmaceuticals, um, set up a new company, uh, continue selling the drugs, but their profits would go to pay the settlement on an ongoing basis. But the family itself would not lose any of the massive fortune that it has uh, amassed by selling these drugs. Yeah, they'd have to pay $3 billion over a period of seven years. Um but without an admission of wrongdoing. So uh, the Attorney General and at least 20 other states, um, at least 20 other attorneys general oppose this settlement. And so really 
we won't know how uh, the case will proceed until a bankruptcy court judge has an opportunity to rule on this settlement. And it's possible that the Sackler family is grouped in with Purdue Pharma, and then Illinois won't be able to go any further with their suit anyway. Okay. And meanwhile, I should point out that Purdue is not the only manufacturer being sued. There are many out there that make right. both brand name and generic forms of these drugs. Right. Um, and so he uh, also, on the same day this proposed settlement came out, uh, the attorney general filed suit against 16 other opioid manufacturers, including Johnson & Johnson and some of the others that you've probably heard of. And he's basically alleging that, you know, they packaged this stuff, they advertised it, and they lied about how addictive it is and, and how destructive it could be. Okay. Meanwhile, there's another case going on. Uh, this is not an actual lawsuit, but an investigation into the tech giant Google. And almost all of the states uh, and some other, I think Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico mm -hmm. are, are involved in this. Um, antitrust is an area of law that prevents one company or maybe a couple of companies uh, from controlling too large a share of a single commercial market. Uh, Google, what are they investigating here with Google? You basically said it, that uh, they have such control over the advertising and the search market. I don't know the numbers, but, you know, the Texas Attorney General who's leading this charge, he said basically the Internet is synonymous with Google. And, as, you know, as long as they have the power that they do, they're kind of acting as an antitrust, and that's what this investigation sets out to find out. And there's also the fact that if I were to do a Google search on, let's say, plumbers in Springfield because I need a plumber, Google decides which plumbers show up first, uh, oftentimes based on how much a plumbing company might pay Google to get moved to the top of the search engine list. Uh, but there's also the area of online advertising, uh, advertising that goes with the search engines as well as uh, other kinds of online advertising, and they control a huge share of that market, should probably point out that this has been a matter of considerable concern for local newspapers that are having a great deal of difficulty now uh, generating online advertising for their websites because Google, Facebook, and Amazon control such a huge share of that market. Um, so at this point, though, it's just an investigation. Is that right? Yeah, and the states will pull their resources. The feds are involved, um, and they're just going to find out what they can. Okay. Well, that'll do it for this week on Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois. Until next week, thank you for listening. <laughs>